0: All right, you can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 8. We'll read um, chapter 8, verses 12 through 20. Um, children, you can be dismissed to go uh, rummage around in the utility drawer back in the back bedroom, wherever that happens to be, and uh, just do whatever it is that your parents tell you to do at this point. So, um, But thank you for being in, in church with us, kids. Um, not that you had much choice, I guess. It was in your house, so... No, uh, John chapter eight, starting in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judges, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Those words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. As we kind of approach this text, I want to really want to paint the picture for you of where Jesus is when he says this and what's kind of been going on. Um, this is all part of uh, this sort of a larger um, sort of episode that John is telling us about that takes place. During the the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, which was kind of a the Jewish celebration of the harvest, it took place in, in September or October uh, at some time. And this is this is the one if you remember from Sunday school where the people made little huts and little uh, little lean-tos and uh, and dwelt in them or or camped out in them for for several days and they did that to and the whole thing really is all about God's faithfulness all about remembering God's faithfulness to his people during the wilderness wanderings and and in the temple which is where this takes place uh we're told that in verse 20 in the temple in Jerusalem uh what was going on during this feast was that there was this this first court that you went into when you went into the temple. As you entered the gates, it was called the court of the Gentiles. And then just beyond that was called the court of the women. And and in there was a part of that court called the treasury. And there were these large uh, chests set up where people could drop in offerings for various things, such as temple upkeep and sacrifice, official animals and and those sorts of things. And during this feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, there were set up in the Court of the Women, these four very, very large torches, these sort of candelabra-like uh, torches that were set up. And in some of the accounts that I read said that that these torches were taller than the walls of the temple. So they were, they were very, very tall, but they're also very, very large. And uh, it's estimated that they held somewhere around 65 liters of oil, each one of these things. And so uh, at at night during the, the, the feast of the booths or feast of tabernacles uh, that this, this priest or a priest would climb up to the top of these huge torches and fill them up with oil And then light them on fire, and so you had four of these things going at night. And so, um, the light from these torches would illuminate the whole temple complex for sure, but it would also illuminate a lot, large portion of the city around uh, the temple. And because the temple was way up high, and sort of the city kind of around it, and so these these torches were there, just giving light that just spilled out into all of Jerusalem. And it was this spectacular thing. If you can imagine, like, there's so much light pollution in our world today. There's so much, like, streetlights and car headlights and that sort of thing that it's, it's hard for us to imagine just torches being able to give that much light. But in those days, you know, there was no light pollution whatsoever. There's no streetlights. And so these torches were illuminating uh, the city in this really fun and unique and beautiful way. And all around the, the temple at, during the feast, there were, there were people playing music. Uh, there were musicians playing. There were, there were people dancing. And the people dancing themselves had torches. And so light and fire and, and this, these sorts of visual symbols were very much a part of what was going on in and around the temple while Jesus was speaking the words that we read this morning. And what they were saying by all of these torches and lights and fire and stuff is that they were commemorating uh, the presence of God when the people were going through the wilderness and God led them through the wilderness in this pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. And so God himself, what they were celebrating and giving thanks for was God himself giving light to his wandering people. Uh, And and when the cloud then would descend upon the tabernacle and indicating that God's presence had arrived in the tabernacle, uh, and and they were remembering that, they were remembering really these, just all of these gracious provisions of guidance and presence and illumination and comfort for the people of God and and remember uh, who these people were. They were a stiff-necked people. They were a rebellious people. They were a people who oftentimes during the wilderness wanderings grumbled and complained against God. And, and guess what, uh, folks? <laughs> we're still a stiff-necked people. God's people are still bear those characteristics. We're still sinful in those ways. That we are stiff-necked and rebellious and that, that we still wander around the desert of our sin, right? Uh, we still grumble in the face of abundant salvation and grace, and we still we still doubt the goodness uh, and trustworthiness of our Father, who thus far has given us everything that we need, if not the things that we think we need, but that we still we still in a lot of ways as God's people, inflicted by the same. Uh, Inward problem of sin in our hearts. We still, we still chafe at this truth of our own dependence, uh, and even as we, even as we reject His merciful provisions for us. In other words, what do we still need that the old, the ancient Israelites needed in the desert? We still need the light of His presence, right? We still need uh, what we've always needed. What the, what the presence of the fire and the cloudy pillar in the wilderness pointed to. We need Jesus. We need, we need the one the writer of Hebrews calls the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Like we need that. That stuff in the Old Testament, the fiery pillar and the, the light of God's presence, all of that was pointing to someone and that someone was Jesus. And that's who we need. We need the light that John describes in, in chapter 1, verse 5 of this same gospel. It says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has over, not overcome it. Like, that's the light that we need. And that's the light that we've received in Christ Jesus. That's the light that, that he has provided for us in himself and that the goodness of God has provided for us. And, and as recipients of this light, as his people, as his followers, as recipients of his light, we are called then to go out and be light. Be light in a darkened world. So let's look at this in three ways. Uh, let's look at the light of Jesus in three ways. First, the light of Jesus in life-giving grace. Second, the light of Jesus in the life of his followers. And third, the light of Jesus and the darkness of the world. So the light of Jesus in life-giving grace, the light of Jesus in the life of his followers, and the light of Jesus and the darkness of the world. Okay, number one, the light of Jesus and life-giving grace. In verse 12, it says, And again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we're told in verse 20 that this took place in the treasury. And as he taught in the temple, no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And, and here is Jesus in the treasury, which was part of this court of the women, as I've said, standing under these, these huge candelabra-like torches uh, and, and that represented this fiery pillar, the Shekinah glory of God. And I remember the, when the Temple of Solomon was completed and they had the dedication for the Temple of Solomon And the glory of God showed up in the temple of Solomon and the light was so bright that the priests couldn't go in because the presence of God was so strong there. And that's what what this this fire and this light represented. And, And maybe even Jesus is pointing up at these torches as he's saying this, saying, I am the light of the world. Jesus here is unmistakably identifying himself with the light of God's presence and power. It's important we not miss this point of what Jesus is trying to say, that Jesus identifies himself with that Shekinah glory that showed up, that he is saying that the fiery pillar which shielded you from the Egyptians at the Red Sea, I am that light. That the light that led you through the desert, that was me. This is what Jesus is saying. That the light that descended on the tabernacle indicating God's presence and arrival or indicating that it's time for the Israelites to break camp and move on. He says, that was my light. What grace is there? What grace that that Jesus is the life-giving light of God in the world and he has not left us alone. That this light of God, this light of life that Jesus is is not a distant light. It's not an aloof light. It's not a, a light that we have no access to, us to, but, but it's a present light that is with us in power. As you kind of read the Bible and you look through the Old Testament, especially uh, fire is a symbol of God's presence and power and holiness and otherness. And, and if you've ever heard of the Bible Project, they have some great videos that kind of explain Bible truth to people. And one of them talks about holiness, and it says that God's holiness is like the sun, the sun in our solar system. The sun is this, this wonderful, life-giving thing that is unique in our solar system, right? And it's utterly unique in our solar system. And that's what holy means. It's just set apart, utterly unique, different from everything else but the sun is also dangerous right it gives light and it gives heat but the closer you get to it the more dangerous it becomes and and that's kind of what god is like that that god is utterly unique he's utterly holy but he's also his holiness and his righteousness and because of our sinfulness it becomes a little bit dangerous or a lot of, a lot dangerous to, to a sinful people And the grace of this all is, is that Jesus comes and moves as close to his people as he can and by his grace, shields his people from that danger with his own body, with his own life, that that, that a sinful people who encounter a holy God are in danger. And Jesus says, I am not only the one that represents and is that holy God, but I'm also the one that shields you from the danger of God's holiness as sinful people. But there's grace and mercy there because of Jesus that he comes near to his broken people and draws us by his grace and mercy into the very presence of a holy God. Like, just think about that for a moment. And just kind of think about what that means then. What that means is we read like Psalm 27, verse one, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? That the light of Jesus in life-giving grace is our protection and our salvation. Isaiah nine said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. That those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shown. That the light of Jesus in life-giving grace is our guide and our comfort. Malachi, just, just about the very last words of the Old Testament says, Malachi 4 verse 2 says, But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness, S-U-N of righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. That the light of Jesus in in life-giving grace is our hope and light when all other lights go out. So that's the light of Jesus in life-giving grace. Let's, Let's look at the light of Jesus in the life of his followers. When we were in, in uh, Boy Scouts, um, we used to play capture the flag at night when we'd have these big camperies with all these other troops. And all the troops were kind of set up around this big field uh, in the middle of the camp. And um, we would, we would kind of go troop versus troop playing capture the flag at night. And, and we, we got into it. I mean, we had camouflage on. We did like the commando thing on our faces and stuff like that. Uh, we went to the like, army surplus stores and got geared up, ready to go for the big capture of the flag on these camperies. And we all had our flashlights. We all had our, our flashlights there. And um, we, would, we would kind of like use those flashlights to scan the fields like, like a sniper and try to catch the kids that were belly crawling on their, on their bellies trying to get our flag. And most of us just kind of had these normal like Walmart flashlights. No big deal. A couple of C batteries, whatever, Some kids had the big, I don't know if they even still make these anymore, like the big nine-volt battery. It's like you're carrying around a car battery with a light bulb attached to it. Like it weighed about 10 pounds. Uh, Some of them had those, and those were pretty good. Um, But like the elite SEAL Team 6 sniper kind of uh, capture the flag kids had what was called, uh, and I guess these still exist too, a mag light. And That just sounds. That just sounds cool, right? A mag light, and this this thing was uh, it was as long as your arm, and it held about eight D batteries. And it was even made out of black metal, and so and you could just sort of like the the really good kids could just sort of line up a shot with the mag light, and then press a the little rubber button on the thing, and just just shoot this beam of pure radiant sunlight directly into the face of some, some poor kid that is, is army crawling on his way to capture your flag and just destroy him. And then of course, as soon as he's illuminated, we just all I'd charge him and, and, and take him out and haul him off to capture the flag jail. Like, it's like when Jesus takes lordship of our, of our life, it's like we get to carry one of those mag lights. We get one of those mag lights that we get to carry into the world. Look again at verse verse 12. Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That when we follow Jesus, we have his light coming into us, but also coming out of us. We have his light coming into us and also coming out of us. It, It comes into us as our eyes are open to the truth about who he is and who we are and, and Jesus illuminates our need and our dependence, our sin and our guilt. But thankfully he doesn't stop there in just simply illuminating our, our sin and our guilt. But, but at the same time, he illuminates himself. He shows us himself and his self-giving love. He shows us the mercy of the cross It's interesting in verse 20, uh, at the end of our passage this morning, it says that his hour has not yet come. And that's a refrain that you hear several times in, in chapter seven and of, of John and chapter eight, that Jesus's hour has not yet come. He hadn't been arrested yet. Like we know what is coming, uh, as we read the story of the gospel of John, but John is just simply saying it hasn't happened yet. And, but that is a reminder to us of what is coming of the time when he will be arrested and will be tried in an unfair sham of a trial and nailed to the cross. It reminds us that the cross is in his future. And he is aware of this, even as he is speaking these gracious words to us and how he approaches, he he shows us the mercy of the cross and, and the cross is how he approaches God, a holy God, the danger of God's utter holiness bearing not his sin but bearing our sin and how he absorbs what God's utter holiness demands as the just penalty for our sins so he shows us the mercy of the cross he shows us his perfect life in which he perfectly keeps every aspect and demand and requirement of the law and in which As he lived, he created pockets of blessing and creation restoration by healing and comforting and teaching. He shows us that perfect life, which we receive also by grace. And he shows us these things, and then he gives them to us freely and by his grace. And as this truth about who we are begins to take root in our our hearts, we're transformed by it. And the light that comes into us begins to come out of us. Ephesians 5.8 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. An identity founded upon the light of Jesus will reflect the light of Jesus in its activity. That our activity flows from our identity. And the word follows, like those who follow me will have the light of life. The word follows in this, in this passage is a present participle, which just simply means that we follow him and we keep on following him. It's an ongoing, daily, habitual following. But we walk then as children of the light because we are children of the light, because he has made us his children, because he has given us this identity in himself. We, we follow Christ in his mission of sacrificial love and creation restoration, that, that his mission becomes our mission. And in many ways, you know, what we are now living through is creation groaning. I mean, can you kind of feel that and sense that? Remember that passage from Roman 8? Like, creation groans And creation is longing for a day of ultimate healing and ultimate health. And as his followers, as his light bearers in the world, it's our calling to continue his mission of creation restoration, of being a blessing and living in a blessing as a blessing to those around us. And so that, that becomes a big question for us today. What are the ways that we can walk as children of the light in this unique time? especially as we're isolated from the world. How can we walk as children of the light? Light, in many ways, reveals truth, right? And so there's this calling on God's people, especially to pray, pray for the world around us. Even as we're more and more isolated from the world by necessity, we're called to pray for the world. Social distancing doesn't mean disengagement, uh, the light of Jesus that we have and have always had and still have and will have in the future, no matter what, what the, the health care situation in the world is, the light of Jesus that we bear in the world is the light of life, he says. Pray for the life that is in you because of Jesus. Pray that it will spill out onto others. Pray for opportunities for God to use you to be a blessing to others in the next few weeks. Pray for your families and for your kids and pray for teachers and schools and and pray for the opportunities that are in front of you as the light in you reveals things. And like parents who are, who are worried and don't know how to, to teach your kids at home and do lessons at home and those sorts of things, the, what's the silver lining here? I mean, one of them is, guess what just got put back into the public school system? <laughs> Prayer, right? So look for those opportunities to shape your kids as you spend this Time with them, but then also give yourself grace in that. Um, understand what that looks like. In many ways, in many ways, another silver lining is that access to church just got a lot easier uh, for a lot of people. Although this, this, what we're doing this morning and done for the last couple of weeks um, isn't a healthy as a habitual means of means of worship. Uh, even though it is kind of the situation that we find ourselves in today. It does remove some barriers barriers to people who don't normally go to church. And so look for ways to share the gospel and to point people to Jesus and to point them to the resources that a lot of of churches are creating now that they would not have created otherwise, perhaps. that are going to be there after all this is over. So light reveals truth. Light is also a comfort. There's this... There's a tiny nightlight in our kid's bedroom, uh, the little kid's bedroom right now. And it doesn't do anything in terms of providing illumination. Like it doesn't make the room really any brighter, but its presence is a, is a comfort to our kids. And they won't let us not turn it on. Uh, and so y- you've received light through Jesus that's a comfort You've received comfort from Jesus and therefore you're called to be a comfort to others. Jesus comforts us with his grace, forgiving our sins, making peace between us and the Father, calling us into the family of God, providing for us in our needs. How can you comfort others? Finding ways to to move forward in relationships even as we stay apart. Uh, And let me just add to Be more vigilant in your relationships as your communication means turns from face-to-face, in-person time spent with others to electronic means of communication. Be vigilant in looking out for offense caused to others and be vigilant about seeking forgiveness from others. It's very easy to misunderstand one another over social media or Facebook or text. Be vigilant. Move towards others quickly Being the the provision of God for neighbors by sacrificially giving them the stuff that you have that they need. You can be a comfort to others by taking medical advice and recommendations about how we're to live our lives now for the next few weeks in this time. Take those seriously. What comfort can you be to others if you are nonchalant about this threat? even if you're not truly worried about it, you can comfort others by, by, by doing these things. Okay. The light of Jesus and the darkness of the world. Sadly, there, there are some who heard Jesus's words and and rejected them. Verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. When Jesus is loved and trusted and followed, he's light. But when he's rejected, darkness descends. And the the hard-heartedness of the Pharisees demanded this sort of uh, judicially verifiable proof of the claims that Jesus was making. And Jesus says in 17 and 18, "...your law is written, the testimony of two people is true." And I am one who bears testimony, bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. In short, Jesus is kind of saying there there really can't be any judicially verifiable proof of who he is because it's a matter of faith, it's a matter of relationship with Jesus. And kind of Jesus' response to the Pharisees in verse 19 bears that out. He says, they say, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know, neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. That Jesus is the ultimate light. And if you reject him, you have no light and live and walk in darkness. Jesus is ultimate to all of life. He is the light of the world, right? That's what he is saying that but there is no concern or necessity more urgent than having Christ. Uh, there's, a, there's a Latin phrase that is the motto of Covenant College. Um, in omnibus Christus primatum tenens, uh, in all things Christ has preeminence. That without Christ, we will walk in eternal darkness because he is the light of the world. He is preeminent over all. And so therefore, the call and the warning here from the Pharisees is to submit to Christ in all things. Lay at his feet your every care. Not that those cares will then magically go away, or or your fear and worry will just suddenly disappear, or, or your depression will fade, or your anxiety will fade, Or health and wealth that will probably not suddenly just come your way. I mean, I hope all of those things happen. But you will find in Christ a resource of comfort based on his faithfulness and his character. You will find peace for your heart that's troubled by sin's guilt and shame. You, You will find a rock that you can stand on even as the world goes crazy around you that you will find forgiveness and the mercy of God. Lay at his feet your ambitions. Say, this career is for you, Jesus. This family, this marriage, this relationship is for you. Let go of the, the absurd notions that you will somehow automatically, in the space of a week, know how to homeschool your kids. Uh, give, give your new school time, whatever that, that looks like, whatever you are, uh, whether you're a parent or a student, give that new school time to Jesus, to work his grace in your life. Give your work at home time to Jesus, whatever that looks like, even though you don't know how to do it. Uh, just trying to make a zoom call is, is just hard. <laughs> uh, lay at his feet, your ambitions, but also, and most importantly, lay at his feet, your hope for the future. As Resurrection Sunday draws near, as Easter Sunday draws near, remember our ultimate hope is in the preeminent Christ, the light of the world. John 1 12 says, But to all who did receive him who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But now you are light in the world, walk as children. Of light, Ephesians says. That one day, one day we will be raised and the life part of this light of life will come into its full realization that those who are in Jesus will understand that one day when, when he returns, this, this, this light of life that he was talking about will burst into its full bloom in, our, in us as, as we are raised to be like him. And and C.S. Lewis says it this way in The Weight of Glory. Nature is mortal. We shall outlive her. When all the suns and nebulae have passed away, each one of you will still be alive. Nature is only the image, the symbol, but it is a symbol scripture invites me to use. We are summoned to pass through nature beyond her, to the splendor which she fitfully rejects, that, that there will come a day when those in Christ will be raised to live with him on an earth that is no longer groaning in pain because of the curse of sin. And that those who have rejected Jesus, the light of the world, will dwell in darkness forever. But those who have trusted in Christ and have the light of his presence in them will find themselves in the fullness of his kingdom's light forever. That's how Revelation 22 describes this luminous kingdom that is coming. Revelation 22 verse five. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. The cloud and the fiery pillar, the Shekinah glory which showed up as the temple, these great torches which were set up during the Feast of Booth, like all of these things were pale candles pointing to a brighter eternal reality the reality of the promised future, living under the radiant king of glory, Jesus Christ. Give him your life and let him be your Lord of light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we do thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you for the light of his presence. We thank you for the light of his mercy. We thank you for the light of your spirit living within us. We thank you for your help and the hope that we have in you. We thank you, O Lord, for your mercy and grace to your people. we pray that by your spirit's power, you would open our eyes, open our hearts to the truth of who we are and the truth of who Jesus is and what he offers us. Even as he offers us himself, Even as he offers us mercy and grace uh, through his, his death on the cross, through the hope that is ours, through his resurrection, we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.